anxiety is a, is a dangerous thing that, that even the, the Apostle Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Why would he write that in there? Even Jesus himself said, well, don't be anxious. And so I believe if you look at every single thing that we're facing, the realities of life is probably connected to some area of anxiety that we are all struggling with. Some area in our life that we're anxiety, we're wondering about the past, we're wondering about the present, wondering about the future. And so here it is that we look at this particular text and we see that, that if anybody experienced anxiety, it would be Abraham. It would be Abraham. There's times I'm having conversation with people and you may not know, but, but I, I could be in the midst of conversation. All of a sudden anxiety is hitting me and my legs are feeling weak and I'm, and I'm going like this. And the only reason why I'm able to be sustained is because of solid theology. And not because of the reality. The reality and the facts in front of me are real. I'm not losing my mind. They're real. I'm really feeling this thing. And the fact is I'm feeling it. So it's a double thing. Not only am I feeling it, I'm actually, by fact, feeling this thing. And so the only thing that keeps me getting out of bed and continuing to see that it's a day the Lord has made, the only thing that gives me the joy which comes from the strength of the Lord is sound theology. It's sound theology. If the enemy wants to divide and, and separate a people, he hits you at the theology aspect of things. He says, did God really say and so our text before us, if you're there, is one that is really neat because, because when he begins, it's after these things, God tested Abraham. He tested Abraham. And so as, I, as I'm unpacking this, where we're going to end up is in the very last three words that, that the English Bible says, which is here I am. So a love like his is going to eventually get us to this place where we say, here I am, not I am here. That's something different. I am here speaks of location. But here I am is something different. And when we look at Abraham and you understand the life of Abraham, because the Bible says he's the God of Abraham, the God of what? Isaac and the God of Jacob. And so what we see here is that God has promised this individual that through him he's going to, he's going to build a nation. He's going to build a nation. He tells him in the earlier chapters that, that through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That every nation, every tongue, that they'll be blessed through the God of Abraham. Not the God of our liking, not the God that we make, but the God of Abraham. And so when we look at this particular text, we realize that, that we're going to get to here I am. Because in the English Translation, it's three words, but in the Hebrew, it's one word. It's one word. And so when you look at this, you can really say, after these things, God, one word. Just one word from God can remove every single challenge that you are facing. Oh, that's a good place for someone to give God praise and glory. Just one word from God that you hold on to can cause you to be stable in the midst of where you feel. And the fact is, this thing is hard. This thing is hard. And so as Christ followers, love is the basis for everything we do. And we're going to see in this particular chapter that there are many firsts in this chapter. There are many firsts. And as followers of Christ, not only is love is the basis for everything we do, 
It is the basis for all that God does. And so it would make sense then to look at this vast doctrine of the love of God to get it in its right perspective, to get it where we understand it. Because one of the things God has corrected me on, he says, Ro, you don't love well. I said, God, what do you mean? It's, I've been walking with you for how much? Three decades now. He says, you, you don't love well because here is where he really rebuked me. How have you ever gotten rebuked by the Lord before? I, I know I have. When he corrects me. And so I'm getting ready and, and the enemy is bringing up you know, the past. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what I had to go through to get to where I'm at. And honestly, I heard, I heard God so clear. He says, Ro, it wasn't all that bad. <laughs> he says, you're only seeing the bad stuff. I said, but God, it really hurt. Because I know it hurt. And I'm not saying you didn't feel it. But through all of that, I was with you. Come on. And so if you don't see it from that perspective, you won't be able to love well. You will create a barrier. It doesn't need to be there. And so I'm wrestling with God, by the way, in case you don't know. I'm wrestling with God to try to figure this thing out. Because his commandments are, are, are one of which they're not suggestions. His commandments are what he actually wants us to live out. His commandments. His commandments. And so let's dive into this. Let's look at the very first thing. If you're taking notes, it is this. is before we get to here I am, we have to look at after these things, God. There are seven recorded occasions when the Lord appears to Abraham and this is number seven. So there's seven times we're looking at the life of Abraham where God is encountering him. And what was neat about this is that this is number seven. And seven is a great biblical number. It's number of perfection. Three, number of power. But seven is a number of perfection. So what we have, write this down, is after these things, God's will will be revealed. Come on. Because the number seven is Perfection. And so what we're seeing in this text is God's perfect will for Abraham. That through the other encounters with them, God was getting them to a place of recognizing who God is. Come on. God went to Abraham and says, I want you to leave that land, leave your family, leave everybody and go to a land I'm going to show you. He's looking for a land whose builder and maker is God. And so he goes by faith in the Hebrew, talks about that in Hebrews chapter 11. But here we see that it is God's perfect will. So a love like God's is going to be God's perfect will. How many want God's perfect will for your life? Now write this down. Because of his grace, he allows your will to function. Ooh, I got to praise God for that because some of the things I chose to do, put myself, come on, my foot stepped in the pie. Come on. Some of the things that I did out of my own fear, right, out of my own anxiety led me to a place where I had to cry out, God, I am here. But God says, that's not the answer I'm looking for. I want you to say, here I am. I know where you are. I know the location. Adam, where are you? It's not that I don't know where you are. I'm omnipresent. I know everything. But what we have to get you to is a place where you say, here I am. It's one word, God. And so, when we look at this, I just don't want God's permissive will. I want God's perfect will for my life. 
And so as a nation, I encourage you not to keep looking for permission, the will that you want to accomplish. Uh, you want the perfect will of God for every area of your life. God, give me the perfect will to raise my children. Give me your perfect will to work in this business. Give me the perfect will to lead my marriage. I want your perfect will. And so we see that there are seven occasions. And these occasions were not scheduled events in the life of Abraham. They were created events by God. For it says, after these things, that means things transpired. Things were happening. I want you to write this down because this is ever so important. Don't confuse transition with transfer. Transition is where God is doing something and he moves you into a place of where you align with his perfect will. And so therefore, like Abigail spoke last Sunday, you let the love flow well. Why? Because I am in alignment, not agreement with the enemy. I'm in alignment with God. And so therefore, because it's God's perfect will, I now pray this. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because I want your will to be accomplished. So therefore, if you're going to pray like that, God, let your will be accomplished in my life. You can't live by your schedule. You have to live by God's perfect will. Whenever Abraham and Sarah made attempts to help God keep his promise, they were adding to the schedule of events under the sun and causing headache for their own life. Well, it's been so long. Maybe God wants you to go with Hagar. Maybe God wants you to go and sleep with this person. Maybe God wants you to go do this. And so every time we see that Abraham tries to help God out, every time Sarah tries to help God out to keep his promise, they were adding to the schedule of events under the sun where we now become busy people. And so we tell people we're busy. What we're telling them is that I have so much activities under the sun to accomplish. And after these things, I'll see where God fits in. Not knowing God is the one that's orchestrating your life. And so we must be very cautious. We must be careful. Because scheduled events in your life has the potential to become delays, which is really disobedient distractions which are really demonic and worse would lead to a destructive life to the people that you're connected with and so we must become people recognize that we don't move to the schedule of man but we move with the perfect will of God for my life why because to love you I don't want to be disobedient come on and to love you I do not want to be distracted and because I love you I don't want your life to be destructive that is how you love well that there are people waiting on the promise that you carry to get to them come on that you carry something that somebody needs. That you have something inside of you that somebody needs. And because you're delayed with scheduled events under the sun, legit, I know. Uh, we have to do them. I get it. It's called life. But when we don't line up with the perfect will of God, hear me, somebody. We delay the blessings that God had for somebody. It's powerful stuff. This is powerful stuff. So I will not move by scheduled events in my life because not everybody has your best interest at heart. Oh, God. Not everybody has your best interest at heart. And so a time and a season for every activity 
under the sun must be weighed in the balance of God's created events aligned with his will. I heard this statement so powerful from Tudor Bismarck. So powerful. He made this statement. He says, he that invents something makes the rules. He was talking about e-commerce. And he said, before there was e-commerce, whoever invented e-commerce, they make the rules. I said, what are you talking about? He says, when you make the rule, the people that subscribe to what you have made pay for what you have created. Oh, God. So what he's saying is this, is that when you make the rules, you can change anything you want to. Come on. It doesn't matter if it lines up with God's will or not, right? No, that's how you control people because you make up the rule. And if God is not your creator, if God is not the one that governs you, you'll just follow anybody blindly. Come on, because why? I'm following the rules. And so when God now steps into your life, after these things, God comes in because God is saying, you are going the wrong way. Your life is going to be destructive. But God, I'm following the rules, but it's not the rules that I've made up. Oh, that is so good. God is shouting. Just say, here I am. But we keep saying, I'm here. Following the rules. And all of a sudden, we realize now that we're building churches because the rules have changed. They're not coming if you preach this now. Let's just change the rules. So they'll show up. Come on. Right? They're not doing this anymore. I'm telling you the reality of life because there is coming a time when Jesus is... You think this is persecution. This is just first world problems. And thank God we're in a land and a nation where we're free. Amen. That's why I became a citizen. You feel me? And part of that, I was telling somebody, I says, part of the reason why I held back from really speaking apostolically to this nation was because I wasn't a citizen. And the enemy would say, see, you can't really speak to it because, see how the devil works? You can't really speak to it because you're not a citizen yet. Come on. You all know the enemy is whispering those things to you. You know the enemy tells you stuff and keeps you in bondage and holds you back because the enemy says, how dare you say that? Look what you did last week. Look what you did last night. Come on. And the enemy holds us and I can't come. Why? Because look what I did last night. Who cares? Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. That's not license. I'm giving you liberty to tell the devil to shut up. Because after these things, God. That is so good. That is so good. So are you following the schedule of man or are you following what God has created, your perfect will for your life? When you go ahead and follow God's creative and perfect will, you're going to be tested. And that's why we don't want his will. Because God is going to test us. Let's look at the text again. And it says, after these things, God test Abraham. So the purpose of this create event is right here. That the Hebrew word, I love this, the Hebrew word for test is spelled N-A-S-A-H. It has the idea, watch this now, God is so good. It has the idea of this, is that to test means that I want to change the person to become closer to what God intended him or her to be. So he's saying, because I love you, I test you, so you will become who I know I've created you to be. That is so good. 
So when you're going through a test, it's because you're living in the perfect will of God. It's not necessary you did something wrong. It's because God wants to be righteous in your life. And so if it is something you did wrong, you realize, you repent, and you come back to where God is saying, okay, let's do this again. And if you haven't done anything wrong, you come to a place and God, draw me closer to you. Because I want your perfect will, I have to be tested. The word test also means to, to test for its fitness. It's, it's to prove. It means to, to verify. It means to confirm as to its worth. It means, ready, the ability of something. So whenever God is testing you, it is not that God wants to induce sin in your life and for you to fail. No. God doesn't want you to fail. I want you to write that down. God does not want me to fail. He doesn't. He's not out there saying, come on, go ahead. He's not doing that. God is actually, when the enemy came to tempt Adam and Eve, what God was saying, be who I've created you to be. And so the test then would have been Adam being able to say, no, this is sound theology. I know, Satan, you're showing me reality. You are. You're showing me the tree of the good and evil, but I live from the tree of life. This is God's permissive will. The tree of life. Come on, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Get this now. Get this. So this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the enemy comes to the permissive will, your freedom. To pull you away from the perfect will of God, the tree of life. And so whatever you feed is what's going to sustain you. That is so good. You see Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And so you're going to have to go through tests so you'd become what God wants you to be. Is it worth it, Pastor Rowe? In the case of Abraham, it was. But what about your life? Well, Peter taps into this, and Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 9. Peter gives us the test results. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 9. He says, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. That word means test. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it is tested by the fire, may be found to result, ready, in praise and glory and honor. What? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me put my thumb right there and hit a pause. Are you telling me that the sign of somebody who's being tested by God is their ability to praise and give God glory and give God honor? Yes, because God has given them revelation of his perfect will, which is his son, Jesus Christ. So in a corporate gathering like this, let no one keep you silent because if you're going through a test, come on, anxiety is knocking at your door. All trouble is breaking loose in your life. There's a storm that's in place. Come on. You come together and you start giving God praise and glory and honor. Why? Because God has given you a revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, live by revelation. And he's saying the fact that you're tested is that that alone is amazing. And so now in verse 8, look what Peter says. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Oh my goodness. 
So in other words, I'm not going to blame God. No, I'm going to say, God, thank you for this test. Because when I pass the test, I'm going to be able to let you know, I don't see you right now, but I love you. And my faith is being developed. No matter what is going on in this world, let's never lose sight of Jesus Christ. Can you make that commitment to yourself? In the midst of all the changes that are taking place, do not lose sight of Jesus. Don't lose sight of Jesus. I was driving on Route 23, and I was heading uh, from Delaware up to to Marion. And um, there's a billboard once you pass Route 95 where they're doing the construction over the bridge. And there's a billboard, and I would keep passing that billboard. And this time when I passed it, it got my attention. And um, and that's what we got to do another billboard, Jesus is Lord. You know what I mean? Because it gets people's attention, right? Little little plug in there for that. This massive billboard, and it said this, committed to your growth. That's what it says. Committed to your growth. And as I thought about that, it's almost like God was saying to me, Ro, when I test you, it's because I'm committed to your growth. I'm committed to you getting a revelation of Jesus Christ is. We need to start preaching the revelation of Jesus Christ. From the book of Revelation, if you're reading it for Pete's sake. You know what I'm saying? So, so the book of Revelation is really about the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's telling us about the end times. It's telling us where we are. That's why we have hope. It's not for you to be afraid. Remember when I was a kid and we'd read Revelation. I was like, oh, my gosh. I was so scared. Grandma would say, hey, he's coming. He's coming. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm 10 years old. He's coming. <laughs> He's coming because he loves you. And so I want to encourage you. It's a hard book to read, but read the book of Revelation from the perspective of getting a revelation of Jesus. Not getting exit out of here. Read it because you want to get a revelation of Jesus. If you try to read it to try to line things up, you will be absolutely pulling your hair out. Well, I've already done that. But, but read it from a place of getting a revelation of who Jesus is. Because once you get a revelation of who he is, the end times doesn't scare you anymore. You say like John on the Isle of Patmos, even so, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. That's what you say. The loss of any life is, 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 uh, is tragic. The loss of any life is tragic. No matter the cause of it, the life of, of loss of any life is. The reason for that is because if they don't know Jesus... They're going to spend eternity separated from him. And so as a church, if we're going to look at Revelation and see the test that God has given the church, the test he's given us is that he wants his church to become what he's called it to be, holy and without spot and, and blameless. And he wants it because there are people who need to find sincerity someplace. That because they know that they will live forever, they want to get to a place where they can realize that I can spend the rest of my life in this. See, when you got saved, God didn't say get saved, and then three years from now, you can leave. Like, you like it? Okay, great. You don't? Okay. Thanks for coming. See you later. Once you got saved, according to God, it was forever. It was you want a relationship with me forever. Never to walk away from me. Not that you wouldn't struggle, but you would never walk away from me because I'm so good. Because a love like his, you would never walk away from it. 
And so when you read the book of Revelation, what I want us to go through is this. Remember, who wrote the book of Revelation also wrote the book of John. So we're still on the love issue. Amazing that the first church that John writes about in Revelation, he tells them, you forgot your first love. So he teaches the, the gospel of John. He teaches the letter first, second, third John. And now with Revelation, he comes and says, now, I still want to let you know the first church, the first church. Remember love. So seven churches could represent dispensation of time. That's one way of looking at it. And if you read Revelation, we're at the seventh church. He's coming back, y'all. This is the lukewarm church. The church says, I don't need anything. That's exactly where we are. That money, the economy, and politics, and, and the morality is departing. We are absolutely, from a dispensation period, we're at the seventh church. He is coming again. I heard one preacher say, Gabriel is licking his lips. When, 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 God, when? I'm going to blow that trumpet. And so we must tell everybody that we meet about the love of God, the revelation of who God is. We must do that before anything else. Tell people God loves you. Don't live your life separated from him. I haven't even touched a sin yet. Ooh, let's blow some people away. What do you mean? Talking about their sin. No, we'll get to that. We'll get to the sin. Love is not licensed for you to do whatever you want to do. But if I don't tell them that God wants to spend the rest of their life with them, I'm just doing behavior modification and not a love encounter. I'm afraid of hell, so come on, God. No. It wasn't even created for you. It was created for the demons and the devil. That's who goes to hell. So if you're going to hell, it's because you don't want to spend the rest of your life with God. Because you want your permissive will. God can't turn back what he said. You will spend the rest of your life with me. So God is committed to your growth. That's all I was saying. I know I went a little bit longer on that point. But God is committed to your growth in every area of your life. Well, how is God committed to your growth? Great question. Let's read what it says. And God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. This is so good. One word. He comes to him and he says, Abraham. He comes and, and I know I can say this. He comes and says, Noah. Just one word. He comes. It's like if my mom walked in right now and she would say my name, I would recognize her voice. Rowan. And so God said Abraham's name. So the next thing we want to do is this. Before we get to here, I am. Ready for this? God knows your name. Mm. All it was was a voice. The word Abraham. My sheep know my voice. And I know your name. See, you got to get that. My sheep knows my voice, and God says, and I know their name. Ooh, I'm going to pause right there for a second, because I know my mom's mad. She emphasizes her voice, and I could tell I'm in trouble. But when she calls my name out of a place of affection, it is absolutely beautiful to hear your name. See, Dale Carnegie in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, said principle number three is this. Remember people's names. A person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. So Abraham responded immediately because he heard 
his name. You heard his name. So here's the deal. So God knows your name. He called him Abraham. But God also, ready for this, changed his name. Mm. He changed his name because in Genesis 17, verse 3 and 5, it called him Abram. And so Abram, verse 3 of Genesis 17, fell on his face and God said to him. And so God said, I'm changing your name now because the capacity inside of you is greater because my love needs more room. Oh, come on. Mm. Oh, shakabo. Mm. He said, I'm changing your name from just shorten now to the fullness of who you are. And so I'm establishing, ready, a covenant, not a contract with you. He moves into a place of a covenant, not with Abraham. And he says, Abraham, what I'm about to do has nothing to do with you. I know your name, and I'm the one changing your name. And he goes on and says, you should be a father of multitude of nations. No longer will you be called Abram, but you shall be named Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. Watch this. This is so cool. This is citizenship. So when I went for my immigration interview, we got to this place where, where the test was over. And, and I want to give a test to every American born. I'm t- it's amazing. God has opened my eyes just by taking the citizen exam. And he goes, some of the battles you're facing, you just don't know your constitution. He says, I haven't even brought my word yet. You just don't know the constitution. I'm like, what you saying? He goes, listen. And if you've never read in the book of Acts, Paul is getting beaten. By a Roman soldier on the authority of the government. He's beating them. Bap, bap. Probably not like that, but you know, boom, boom, boom. And Paul opens up his mouth and doesn't say, John 3, 16. Paul doesn't open his mouth and says, now, 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 this is what Jesus said. Paul opens up his mouth and says, I know my legal rights. Is it lawful? It's in the scripture. Is it lawful for you to beat a Roman citizen? And he stopped. Ordered by Rome to inflict pain on him for what he was doing. And yet stopped because there's a, oh, come on. There is a higher authority that he has to answer to. And he said, is it legal for what you're doing? And so when I was going through this immigration thing, I'm like, oh, my goodness. I said, guys, because we don't know it, they're able to find a loophole in it. Oh, Both sides. Come on, somebody. And so we've got to get to a place where we understand that we're a people of the kingdom. And so we have access to citizenship in heaven and also on earth. Oh. And after that, I was like, wow. And here's what she said to me after. That. She goes, now you can legally change your name. Oh, y'all not getting that. You're coming a citizen now. Come on. And your name can be changed. And what God is saying, that when I save you, my God, I change your name from loser to winner. I change your name from this to this. You can now change your name. And some of you, you're citizens of heaven, but you're still living by this name over here. You let people categorize you. Change your name, my God. I'm now a son of God. I'm not an orphan anymore. I'm a child of God. If your name has been changed, give God some praise and glory how do you want your name on this document I said are you serious yes if you want to change it now is the time good God almighty before I go any further what do you want to do with your name and the Bible says ah 
you shall call his name Jesus. Come on, somebody. You shall call his name Jesus. It's the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And I changed his name. Oh, come on, somebody. He is the savior of the world. I've given you a name that's above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ. You don't know your name. That's why the enemy calls you all sorts of names. You don't know. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I'm loving the citizenship stuff. I'm loving it. And the soldier said this. How in the world did you become a citizen? It's in the text. Book of Acts. So I don't think I'm lying. He says, how did you become a citizen? Paul says, I was born one. And the guy said, I paid sums of money to become what you were born to be. And so you take that analogy as a people of God. And when Nicodemus says, what must I do to be saved? He says, you must be born again. Haven't even touched sin yet. Just by declaring the love of God, I've already got your attention because here's the deal. He wants to change your name. Why does he want to change your name? Because from the womb, he named you. And from the tomb, he called you. Come on. Mm. Isaiah 49 says this. Listen to me and give attention, you people from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. So when did God name you? Not when your parents named you. God named you from the inside of your womb of your mother. Here's why you were born. Not because your parents were in the mood. Come on now. That made for pleasure, but didn't make for purpose. Oh, you got to write that down. Because some people tell, oops, you're an accident. And God says, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. From the womb. Come on. That I knew which egg and which sperm. Come on. We're all adults here, right? You know, we know biology. Fighting to get you. Get out of my way. Come on. But what do you do with the sin? See, that's where the enemy comes in. Because we have to address the sin. And the sin is the fact that because we're in Adam and because all sin through Adam, we're now imputed with sin. That's the sin. And that's why the behavior is the way it is. And so what happens now is the covenant that we had with Adam. Christ came now and gave us a new name. So we have a covenant now with Christ. And what he's saying is this, is that from the womb, I've called you. Somebody help me out this morning. When did God call this church from the womb, from the heavens? That God says it's now. That's why when, when Abigail was preaching, one thing I do know about this church, that God says we'll be a multi-generational church. You know how hard it is to pastor a multi-generational church? Because you have all different forms of worship styles. <laughs> yeah, the young people are going to go all day. And the adults are like, you got to be kidding me. And you got the adults bringing the amazing grace. Come on. When I survey the wonder of the cross, come on, adults. You know what I'm saying? I grew up on those old tunes. 
GE Patterson, I was listening to him last time when I was cleaning the church. You know what I mean? It just says, he's your all at the altar of sacrifice. I'm like, look at the deep, rich theology of that. This church would be like, what are you talking about? What altar? What blood? You know what I mean? Are you guys blood eaters? Like, what's the deal? And so you have a generation of ignorant generation because they don't understand what it means by the blood. They think we're accountable. They're like, what do you mean? Stay with them. I'm showing you something here. And so you have, a, you, have, you have a culture war. And so what they do is they have two services. Divide. And they have different things. Divide. But God is saying, why don't we just bring them all together? Let one generation speak to another generation. And so when you heard Abigail preach, she's preaching to a generation. And it doesn't matter. Come on, if you are religious, you miss what she was saying because she was dropping nuggets. She was dropping words from heaven in her season. Come on, somebody. And so therefore, because of that and because of transition and honor, God used her to declare a word. And so we had Hannah, who was a younger generation, who prayed. And then we had Abigail, who preached. And we have a generation that says, yes, God, bring them all. Bring them all. Let every generation praise my name. That's so good. That's the church I want to pastor. I want a multi-generational, multicultural church. So you got to love well various cultures within the culture. And we won't eat the bait. We will not be hooked on the drink of the culture that tries to divide us. You feel me? Let's silence the real enemy so we can hear the voice of God through the generations. Some people's experiences were real. But God's word is what will prevail and speak to that reality. So there has to come a time I have to tell you, okay, I heard you. Now let's do something about it. Because you were called from the womb. Now, now here's the deal. Here's what I really need. I got to hurry because this is so important. But there are people that you're knowing, people that you know, I should say, that are wrapped up and they're buried in a tomb. In John chapter 11, this is so good. Oh, Lord, I was hoping to get to my point. It's like, yeah, I know you, Ro. In John chapter 11, I want you to go there because I think this is where we are. Because it will get to a place of where we say, here I am. Oh, thank you, Holy Ghost. This is so good. So Jesus hears that Lazarus is dead or he's sick. He says, the one you love, he's sick. Jesus waits. And now he dies. The tragedy of a loss of a life. He's, he's dead. And so Jesus is trying to speak deep theology to them. And they weren't getting it. Jesus is like, well, no, he's just sleeping. They're like, well, don't wake him up then. And he's trying to explain to them. Jesus finally goes, you're not getting it. <laughs> Your reality is greater than my theology. Write that down. Come on. So you understand something here about loss is that loss from the perspective of the ground is one thing, but loss for eternity is something different. And while we grieve the loss of the ground, God understands the power of the resurrection for all eternity. And that's why every person who dies, they will be judged because of the reality of eternity, not because of the reality of the ground. That is so good. And so you grieve here, but you ask for grace up there. You grieve here, but you ask for grace up there. I told someone, I said, I've yet to be at a funeral where we knew this person went to hell. Everybody went to heaven. Every funeral I've been to, everybody goes to heaven. 
Because the reality of that loss is too great when we're just trying to experience the loss of down here. And so it robs us of an opportunity. I was told the story of this one gang member. He was just notorious and he died. And because he grew up in the church, he wanted a funeral. You know, they gave him a funeral at the church and he came in. And so here is this guy, well-known, didn't live right, nothing like that. But because of the end of his life, he says, hey, you know, I want, I, I, I want this experience. As opposed to the pastor, God help us, preaching to those who still will remain, he preached to the one who had went into the ground. And Jesus recognized this. I've got to speak to the ones who are still alive to let you know I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, God. He says, I will comfort your reality, but I've got to speak theology first. I am the resurrection and the life. And so he waits, and then the person dies. Cruel Jesus. And he gets there, and this is where we are in our text. I'm going to end with this, because to get to here I am, um, we have to discern between I am here. Versus here I am. Abraham didn't say, I am here, God. He says, here I am, God. And so in John chapter 11, we we look at this and we see now, uh, when he has said these things, this is verse 43, when he had said these things. So in other words, he got to a place where he finally arrived and he says, tell me where he is. And so they brought Jesus to where he had died. So the example is um, you have someone that is dead in their trespasses and their sin. Not just physically dead, but they're dead in trespass and sin. They're not living for the Lord. They're living a life separated from the Lord. What do you do? Because if you speak the truth, they may think you're judging them. And if you don't speak something, they may get judged by God, and you get judged for not telling them that they were separated from God. Does that make sense? Nobody, watch this now, dies without there being an opportunity for them to know Jesus because then God couldn't be just in what he does if that was the case. So every individual... Had an opportunity. On this side of heaven, we don't know how that works out. But for all eternity, God does. And so in this pandemic season or this or or wherever we want to call this thing, it's the first for me, because I think last time I wasn't even born, or maybe I was two years old or whatever. So this is the first for me. And one of the things that I want to tell people is this, and we are so focused on the reality of the ground, which is definitely necessary. But what has happened, if we continue to see that this is what's going on and people are dying, why aren't we preaching the gospel even more and 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 more? Because the ones who leave the ground, the Bible says, will be resurrected and will have to face the judgment of God. If we love well as a church, we'll be able to realize there are people who are dead in trespasses and sin. And any means of you exiting this life, I don't want you to be bound in sin and trespasses. That's the most loving thing I can do is to say, listen, don't be separated from God. I'll grieve your loss. It'll be a, it'll be a very tough thing. I'll weep. I'll cry. But I want to let you know there is coming a resurrection because Jesus says in this text, I am the resurrection and the life. And what you don't want to hear is these words. You don't want to say to God, I am here. No, you want to be able to say, here I am. Ooh. So they, they get in John 11. And so he's, he's, he first realized they can't handle my theology because the reality is too, is too much. And Jesus weeps. He cries. He cries. He's, he's, he's weeping over 
the effects of sin. I've, I've touched that. He's crying over the loss. He's seen Mary and Martha. He's seen this family. He's seen the grief of the loss. But some of us, you got to watch the grief. It's not just physical death. Some of us were given the loss of a family member who left or, or, or any sort of broken relationship. We're grieving it. And Jesus is grieving. But he's saying, you have to understand that I know your name. I changed your name. And now I want to call your name. I called it from the womb. But now saith God, I'm calling you from the tomb. And there are people you know that are walking in, in, in trespassing and sin and they're dead in it. And we think it's over. But no, the love of God can change everything. Is anybody hearing me this morning? Jesus comes now. In verse 43, when he said these things, he cries out. He gets to the tomb where Lazarus is dead. And he says, I first need somebody to roll away the stone. Oh, come on. Jesus could have called an angel to come and move the stone. He goes, no, I need somebody who loves so well. That love is the strength that pushes away the tomb. God, I know what you're going to do, but I'm going to push away the tomb. Oh, God. There are people and a tomb is in front of them. And they can't see. And we need you and I to, to push away the stone. That's why love is so strong. That's why I'm preaching this. Because there's people on the inside. They're dead. They're bound up. And they're saying, I can't see any light. Can someone please move the stone away? And he cries out with a loud voice. If, if you're at the text, he cries out with a loud voice. He cries out. He doesn't just say, hey, 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 whoever is dead, just come forth. Oh, come on, somebody. He doesn't just say, hey, the last person that was put in, hey, you come out first. He cries out, Lazarus. Who's called? Oh, come on, somebody. Lazarus, come out. You got loved ones because of their permissive will. Come on. That have made decisions that delayed the blessings of God in their life. And they're wrapped up now and they're tied up. There are some now, they've been distracted by demonic spirits. Let me tell you something. Some of the things that happen to your kids is demonic, not disease. Come on, somebody. It's a demonic spirit that's holding them back. And you can't, you can't medicate what needs to be cast out. And vice versa before I get emails. He says, Lazarus, come out. You know you heard that voice when you were wrapped up in sin. You know what that voice is like. Rowan, come forth. 
I called you from the womb and I'm a God that keeps my word. I'm calling you from the tomb. If God spoke over your children from the time they were in your womb, I'm here to tell you, I don't care how dead it looks. Push back the stone and let God say, Lazarus, come forth. I wish I had somebody that wants to open up their mouth and call those things that be not as though they are. Jamaria, come forth. Good God Almighty. Hey. Call it, call it, call it by its name. Call it. Come on, TGP. Push back the stone. And let the voice of God say, Lazarus, come forth. Husband, come forth. Wife, come forth. Come on, children, come forth. The man who died came out with his hands and feet bound. So it's not just the first time. Come on. He came out bound. No more barrier, but he's still bound. Oh, this is so good preaching. I've got to wrap this thing because you got to run to Bob Evans. Watch this now. Listen, listen. He comes out. The stones move. His name's called, but he's still bound. Delivered, but not free. Come on, somebody. And we got people coming to church like this. I can't speak because I got something over my mouth. I can't move my hands to praise because something's holding me back. I got something on my feet. I can't dance. But I'm in church, a place of life. And God has said, call them by their name. And when you do that, when you do that, Jesus gave us the instruction. I'm going to end with this. Here's the instruction. Here's the prophetic word. My God, this is for somebody. This is for someone who's letting the love flow well. I can see it all over this state. I can see it all over this nation. I can see it happening now. That God's voice is moving throughout the earth. God's voice is moving throughout the earth. God's voice is moving throughout the earth. I'm about to do it right now. I don't care how dead it looks. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I'm the God of the living and not the God of the dead. I wish somebody would get that in your spirit. You serve the God of the living, not the God of the dead. So as far as you're concerned, everybody needs life. Come on. Everybody needs to hear the gospel of life. And here's the final word. Jesus says to him, he said to them, excuse me, unbind him and let him go. Good God in my Woo! When you take religion out, people, let them go and be who God's called them to be. When you take the category off people, come on, let them go to be who God's called them to be. Trust that God knows what he's doing. Come on, somebody. It may not look pretty, but God can beautify the meek with his salvation. It may not look like how you want it, but let God do it how he wanted to do it. This is the word of the Lord for our ministry and for this church. And TGP, our assignment is to love well and work to unbind people that God called out of darkness, that God are called out of death and we're going to say you are not just delivered but you are free to be who God's called you to be. I need your help church. This campaign for love can't be done by myself. I need your help to one 
push the stone away. Number two, I need you to, when God calls people to this ministry that don't look like we want them to look like, come on, when he brings people through those doors, people are saying, I heard a voice. It called my name, and I'm following the voice to this address right here that we're going to say welcome and unbound them. Come on, and says you are now free to be who God's called you to be, and we're going to trust that God is making you who he wants you to be. So I need your help. First, if you're bound yourself, it's time to get free. Not just delivered, it's time to get free. It's time to get free. Because you don't want to keep telling God, I am here, as if God doesn't know where you are. That's what's keeping us stuck, because we keep saying, I'm here. And God's like, I know where you are. But that's not what Abraham said. Abraham says, here I am. One word in the Hebrew. And we're going to move you over to that place right now. It's to move you from I am here to now here I am. And that's a commitment to campaign for love. I need your help. If you're here this morning, you want to say, Pastor Ro, I'm hearing the voice of the Lord as well. Let me refrain that. If you're here and says, Ro, I need to know the voice of God. I'm going to pray for you. You've got to know the voice of God. So when God's calling someone by name, you can recognize the voice of God and says, yes. The second thing I need people is going to push away the stone because God is calling dead things to life. Oh, my goodness. He's calling dead things to life. 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 He's calling dead things back to life. I hear the Lord saying, I'm calling dead things back to life. Call those things that be not as though they are. Call those things that be not as though they are. He's calling dead things back to life. He's calling dead things back to life. Oh my God. Oh my God in Jesus name. Will you help me move the stone? And we need some of you to take and remove the things that are hindering people and let them go. Whatever head bowed, every eyes closed. If you don't know Jesus, you need to make that decision right now. Don't wait to get close to being buried in the ground. If you don't know Jesus, we want to baptize people in water. We want to baptize people. God wants to baptize in the Holy Spirit. If you don't know Jesus Christ, those who are watching right now, I need for you. Come on. We love you enough to let you know that don't spend the rest of your life without Jesus. Can someone say yes to that? Come on. You know what it's like not knowing Jesus. And now you know Jesus. It's a wonderful thing. If that's you, I want you right where you are to to say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I believe that you came and you died for my sin that separated me from you. And I I now accept the finished work on the cross and I accept you and I confess you as Lord of my life. It's a belief. It's a belief. It's a belief. If you've done that, welcome to the family of God. Let me know. Let me know. If you've done that, said Jesus coming to my heart, even better, make it public. Tell people today I accepted 
Jesus, and now I have eternity, I have eternal life. Oh, man, I got to go. But here's the deal. Will you help me in this campaign? I know I heard from God, TGP. As much as I know my name and he knows my name, I know God is saying for the next six months, stay on this campaign to love. And this place is going to be packed, not with people who just want to play church, but it's going to be packed with people who are free and delivered and know the love of God and they're pushing back stones and they're going to tell you, hey, this week I removed the stone and this person came to know Christ and this week I untied somebody who was bound up. My God, we're going to have people who are demons that have left. Come on, and healing has taken place. Why? Because we love well. Who wants to operate like that? Who wants to be able to work with God as he calls your name? There it is. Come on. Come on. Say that again. Come on. Say it again. Come on. Say it, church. Here I am. Come on. Say it. Here I am. Come on. Here I am. Come on. There it is. 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 Give me one more minute. Come on. Let it. Let let that sound. Here I am, God. Here I am, God. Here I am, God. Here I am. Here I am, God. Here I am, God. Here I am, God. You're calling dead things back to life. You're calling dead things back to life. You're calling dead things back to life. And here I am. Here I am. Here I am. Father, in Jesus' name, here. I am a love like this, a love like his, is a game changer. Now, Father, I thank you. Everybody, reckless. Father, bless us. Bless us. Speak to us this week. And God, when you call our name, We will respond. Here I am. So bless your people, Lord. 30 seconds. Let's just worship him. Go ahead. Just worship him and then we'll be done. Lift up your voice, everybody. Just lift up your voice. Just lift up your voice. Give him praise. Give him glory.